Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to another episode of Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast here on the Athletic. This is Bill Landis, along with Ari Wasserman. Talking about guys, it's draft week, and we will talk about that uh, here. We're going to go through sort of where we think guys from Ohio State's draft class might go when the draft kicks off on Thursday night. But there's a bit of news, Ari, so we'll, we'll sort of jump into it right away with that. Jalen Gill has informed the coaching staff that he will enter the transfer portal. I believe his, as we record this on Wednesday morning slash afternoon, he's not quite in the portal just yet, but it's it's coming, and uh, it's a little bit of roster shakeup for Ohio State. I, I don't think ultimately it's – Super surprising roster shakeup, but when you saw that Jalen Gill will be transferring, what was your initial reaction, and and what, if anything, do you think it means for Ohio State moving forward? The initial reaction is is that I thought this spring was going to be a pretty good opportunity for Jalen to potentially prove his growth and um, to make a case for for being the the slot guy. And I always thought to myself, like the ramifications of the coronavirus and not having spring practice, and you know not being able to get out there and show growth from the offseason, I think he might have been maybe the most impacted player on the team from that standpoint. Um, it didn't ever seem like he completely fit in here at Ohio State. Um, for a five-star prospect, he never really was part of the discussion as much as you would think he would be. And I, I feel like this has been a um, year-long rumor or a year-long thought process, and usually when that's the case, that's um, you know kind of what happens. So, I wasn't surprised by it. I thought that he was a nice player to have on the team, especially for depth. But the truth of the matter is, Bill, I just didn't really ever see where he was going to fit into uh, being an actual contributor um, full-time. I didn't either, and and I had a a pretty lengthy conversation with Jalen Gill in the locker room after the Big Ten Championship last year. talking a lot about this stuff, sort of about about finding your place and – uh, he seemed a little. He said he said all the right things, but you can read a guy's body language too. And and I don't know if he was particularly happy, or maybe that's not the right way to put it. But he seemed a little down, I guess, about where exactly he was, but also maybe excited about the future and what he could prove this spring. And and I don't know if that's a thing that a lot of people thought about when when spring football got shut down, or guys like Jalen Gill and and what they can show or not show, or what they can learn about their standing on the roster and he doesn't have that that opportunity here obviously and it's it's a byproduct of this whole thing is roster management becomes very interesting 
during this time, not only recruiting and bringing guys in at, at a high level like Ohio State's doing, but also figuring out the numbers and, and eventually getting to 85. And there's a natural thing that happens when you get guys out on the field and they can just see where they are that can lead to to your roster getting to where it needs to be. And that didn't happen now. So a guy like Jalen Gill has to kind of take a step back. And I'm sure there are conversations with the coaching staff and just sort of assess where he is and, and I didn't see a great opening for him. I thought he would have had one last year and because K.J. Hill was the only guy in the slot that had done anything sort of, of of note, and they had some good tight ends. But the year before, we saw how dynamic they were with Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill playing in, in both that H role and, and sometimes on the field at the same time. And Jalen Gill seems like a guy who has that skill set, and it, it, for whatever reason, it never took. Well, I don't know if that's practice habits or, or other stuff or what. He's clearly got talent. Uh, people who saw him play it. Westerville South, I, th- I think, are well aware of that, and he's one of the higher-rated players that Ohio State signed over the last few years. It just it never worked out. I, I wasn't on alert for him to have a major role in Ohio State's offense next year anyway, and, and hopefully he can find what he's looking for. But I don't think, from a personnel standpoint, I don't, I don't think this has a tremendous impact on Ohio State for next year. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Um, it was his speed, right? That was what was exciting. And when Ohio State lost Paris Campbell, I thought that that was the opportunity for him to step in and create that dynamic. So, um, you know, when that didn't happen, I thought the writing was kind of on the wall. Sometimes people come out of nowhere a year late and, and make a difference. But, you know, like we've said, I, I wasn't too dramatically surprised by this. No, it'll be interesting to see what he becomes because he is, albeit he's undersized, but he does have running back skill. And if there's a place that, that's willing to play him in that kind of role, uh, I think that could be potentially very interesting and, and dynamic it just wasn't going to happen here i think he was it was very similar to sort of paris's uh, career progression where he was a running back in high school probably didn't fit the bill to do it in college took some time for him for paris even to transition to receiver before he ultimately ultimately became very productive and, and a draft pick and and jalen gill just sort of cut that short and, and he'll try to do it somewhere else i don't know do you, do you envision running back in, at all for him in his future depending on where he might land i always felt felt that like he was on that Paris Campbell track because, like, if you would have asked me three years into Paris Campbell's career if he had it, I thought he was a miss. Like, I like the what Paris Campbell ended up uh, becoming at Ohio State was a surprise to me. Does that make sense yeah, to I you? Because usually, I, I I usually subscribe to the idea that if you're going to be special or if you have the it factor to be a star at Ohio State or a game changer, that you start to see that as soon as they're freshman or, or, or at least at the very least sophomore year. Um, and that didn't happen for Paris, and I just thought that he was just going to be another wash-through. Um, and what he ended up turning out to be, the speed was always there, but he became bulkier. Um, his hands were pretty bad at some, at some points in his career, and they, they improved. And I thought that that would be more of a um, Jalen Gill-type thing to follow. I, I don't necessarily believe that running back is where it's going to be, and I know that running back – it has shifted in terms of it's not always between the tackles and you can be a finesse guy and somebody who catches balls out of the backfield or catches things in space. And, you know, but I always felt like if it was going to work for Jalen Gill, it was going to look a lot like it did for Paris Campbell. Yeah, I think so too. So we'll, we'll monitor it um, to see where, where Jalen ends up going. It, UCLA was in the mix when he was coming out of high school and Chip Kelly certainly got an interesting offense there. Now, I don't know if that becomes part of the play or not, but, but we'll see where Jalen ends up going up. If you're someone who's concerned about, the numbers, uh, I keep track of it. I have Ohio State at 86 at the moment. That's including C.J. Saunders, who the last time we heard hadn't yet heard whether or not he was going to get his sixth medical season. Uh, so they could be one over. They could be right on the number. We don't know who else might be mulling uh, a transfer and, and who isn't. Um, I'll say the same thing I always say when we talk about numbers. It'll eventually work itself out. 
this is sort of a different time to figure that all out. But, you know, Ohio State's never not going to be at its number by the time it needs to be, which is before the season starts. But they're they're close to it right now or, or either right on it. So uh, it's another piece of, a piece of the puzzle that I think we thought was coming. Um, and it kind of probably around this time, too. You know, spring practice was, in theory, ending last week with the spring game. And I think that's when you start to see some of this stuff happen. So Jalen Gill is out, and we'll see where he ends up. Uh, let's talk about the draft. Are you, you get fired up about the draft? I love the draft. I don't know if you get, you, you're a guy, you're Mr. Recruiting and you only like roster building, but I can never tell if you get fired up about the draft or not. I'm really looking forward to watching it tomorrow. Uh, and I've been looking forward to watching it for a few weeks because it's like the first new live sporting event that we've had in some time. Um, and I usually do like, I always love watching the first round. I have no capacity whatsoever to watch like rounds four through seven. So like, and it's just, it's not that I don't care. It's just, I would rather look at the list when it's over with, um, because it obviously matters a ton and the teams that are the best in college football, um, do the best at roster building and the teams that are best in the NFL will do the best at roster building through the draft. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to downplay its significance, but at times I just, you know, how many players that you've never heard of, can you watch get drafted in a row before you just kind of go, I'll look at the list later and do the research I, I want based on the things that interest me. So um, there's a really funny Bill Burr clip about the NFL draft. I don't know if I've ever showed it to you, um, but you should go watch it after we're done here. Uh, he's my favorite comedian, by the way, everyone. To answer your question, how many players can you watch get drafted before you become bored? It's like 260, however many are, are picked for me. I, I'll sit down and watch the whole thing for the entire weekend, and that probably makes me a sociopath. It's me do and you Dan do that every year? Only two. Yeah, I love it. It's like you my favorite thing. You sit there and watch the year. whole thing? Wow. I think it's my favorite sporting event of the year is the NFL draft. I don't know what that says about me, but I love it. I can't get enough of it. I love the first round because in the first round, the program – altering players are the ones being selected and those are the ones that are going to change the teams the most so like i like to see especially the top 15 where the quarterbacks go because in the nfl it's such a quarterback driven sport i like to see the power shift of the league based on who is lucky enough to get who in certain places and of course i want to know what it's going to be like to play madden this year which is always part of the equation too but yeah the later rounds i i just like looking at the list I kind of like the later rounds more. I like it all, and and I will say if you're if you're someone like me who really enjoys a draft, or even if you're just sort of marginally interested, or you wait until it's right on the cusp of it, which is Thursday night, to to get really geared up for it. I, I, honestly, I'm not I'm not saying this just to be a company man. I don't know if there's a better place you can go to get draft coverage than the Athletic with the, a combination of college writers we have and NFL writers we have and, and draft analysts that we have sort of all in one place. And if you are interested in that and you're listening to this and you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can get subscribed at theathletic.com slash 4-6. We'll get you 40% off, and you can get all that stuff. And the if if you're a, a draft head like I am, the thing you get with your athletic subscription that I think is awesome is Dane Brugler's NFL draft guide that's like 250,000 words. You couldn't possibly read all of it about just about every damn player in the draft, and he goes really in-depth on all of them, and he ranks them. Strengths and weaknesses with intel from NFL people and college people. It's great. Even if you just want to read about the guys who might go in the first round, I, I can't recommend it enough. And if you subscribe to The Athletic, you get that as part of it. Um, I've been pouring it over. Um, I really enjoy it. I read it. I was reading it before Dane was at The Athletic. I like it that much. Um, but we're going to use Dane as a jumping off point for our draft discussion, Ari, because he is a madman, and he put out last week a seven-round mock draft. I think it's like 255 picks. He went through all of them. 
And he only gave like detailed descriptions for the first rounders and then a couple of guys after that, but he went through and made picks for everybody. So we're going to go through his draft, see where he slotted the Ohio State guys, and then you and I, to talk about them, are going to say whether or not we think that Ohio State player will go higher or lower than where Dane projected them, just sort of based off what we think of them as players, not necessarily what we think of NFL team needs because we're not experts in that. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds good. I wanted to add that I like reading mock drafts better than watching the draft. I might agree with that. I like them both, but I love them. I love a good mock draft. Yeah, a good mock. Like I, I like studied the seven round Dane Brugler mock draft, and I think it was a very, I think it was the most popular story on the Athletic in months, and I can see why because it's just like so thorough, it's so well done, and it's so thought out that like it does feel like the real draft to me. Like I, I love it. I can't imagine how much time. I mean, it's got to be a year long thing to get that to get his draft guide out, and then to do a seven round mock draft. The thing about mock drafts is that anybody can do one, and a lot of times they're just garbage from people who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> when you read a mock draft from somebody who spends all year studying this stuff and knows the players and knows the skill sets and knows what the teams need, it's like some of the best writing or reading you can do in sports. All right, let's let's go through Dane's mock. We will try. We're going to try to get the subscriber questions on the back end of this. I can't promise we will. It depends on how long it takes for us to go through these draft things. But if we don't get them this week, we'll get to them next week. Let's start with Chase Young, uh, which is a pretty obvious one. Dane has him round one, number two overall to the Washington Redskins. I think it's where everybody on the planet has Chase Young going. Uh, seems right to me. I can't imagine you would disagree with that. I think he's he's the best player in the draft, even though Joe Burrow is going to go number one. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really else to say about yeah. that. Jeff Okuda, round one, number three to Detroit, is a spot that I agree with because if you look at Dane's big board, he has Jeff as the number three overall prospect, and I think I agree with that. He's the second-best defensive player. He might be the second-best overall talent, or he's in the top five for sure. I'm not so sure he ends up in that number three spot because my favorite thing about draft weekend is stupid NFL teams who trade off to get quarterbacks who aren't going to be that good, and I think it's going to happen on Thursday night. So I, I, I think Jeff Okuda might fall a little bit, to like five or six, um, but that's not a reflection on his talent. It's a reflection on NFL teams not being able to help themselves. So you think like one of the either the Chargers or the Dolphins are going to draft up to take their guy? Yeah, and they're going to trade up to take Herbert instead of Tua, and it's going to be a disaster. Because there's a prop bet right now that was so interesting about like which quarterback comes off the board second, and I just like have no idea who it's going to be, and I cannot wait to see like how it plays out. I th- yeah, I think they're going to do. I think someone's going to trade up and. I we had to do uh, a little peek behind the curtain. You and I are in a fantasy dynasty league, and part of that to get the first pick, we had to like put in a mock draft, and whoever gets closest to being right gets the first pick in our fantasy league. And in my mock draft, I said that LA was going to trade up the three to take Herbert. From I think from six to three to take Herbert, and then Okuda would go six to Detroit. Six. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think that. Jeff Okuda is the third best player in the draft or the second best player in the draft. Um, and it's funny that Ohio state had both, but all, all the stuff is circumstantial when it comes to where the quarterbacks go. Cause that's the number one thing. And if I were a GM, I would draft the quarterback every single year until I got a guy that I, <laughs> I knew was our guy. I don't understand the notion of drafting any other position until, you know, you have a quarterback. So, um, you know, we, we, you have talked about this before and it's just, Draft both if you have two first-round picks and just hope one wins and then trade the other one. Um, but I do think that the placement of these two are, are correct. 
with Young and Okuda, I think you and I might have talked a little bit about this when we were out at the Combine for like work meetings and stuff, and we were talking with Nick Baumgartner, too, who covers the Lions and, and the Michigan uh, college teams for us, about Young and Okuda. And just from you, from you watching both those guys throughout their college careers and just what you think they might be as NFL players and, and the impact they could have, how much of a gap do you think there is between the two of them? I think that whenever you're talking about a crazy athletic defensive end who just is a dominant force and has tree trunk legs that like the miss factor of that person is lower than a corner but I don't think that either of them could miss so in terms of the gap if I were an NFL GM and I'm taking you whenever you take somebody in the top three you're thinking this is a pro bowler I think the odds of Chase Young having a longer sustained pro bowl career are better just because I think that that raw physicality of that position translates more often than you know, maybe playing a skill position player on, on defense. And that's me trying to sound like an NFL GM and I might be an idiot. But like to me, I would take the physical freak that physically dominates people over any other position. But I know that like Jeff Okuda like has the body um, of somebody who was born to play corner and like his stats were absolutely absurd. And I would like make the argument that Okuda just had the best cornerback season out of all the ones that we're um, have covered in the recent years that have gone in the top 10 better than Marshawn Lattimore, better than Gar- Gary on Conley, better than Eli Apple, all of them. So like I would take chase young all over every single one of those corners that I um, just mentioned, even Marshawn Lattimore who won rookie of the year um, a few years ago. But I think Jeff Okuda still is the less safe pick between the two. It's funny. You read, you you read some stuff about chase young and, I don't necessarily agree with this, but it's just funny sort of like the negative things that come out and you'll read things about how like his motor maybe, or, or how he, he wasn't always going full bore on every single snap, but like he didn't have to, <laughs> he didn't have to in a lot of the games that they played and he would still get a couple of sacks. So I don't know if, if one, I buy that and two, if I would even care about it all that much, if I were an NFL evaluator, um, I think there is a seriousness to Jeff Okuda. That's maybe at a little bit of a higher than, than than Chase Young's, but Chase Young I think is very serious about his craft as well. I would take Chase, but I could be I think I could be swayed in the Wokuda, and it would depend on what my roster looked like. I think both these guys are are ten year starter, Pro Bowl caliber players. I agree with what you said about Okuda in relation to the other corners that Ohio State has had to go in the first round. And I don't know I think I would say the same about Chase comparing him to the Bosa brothers, but I really like Nick Bosa. Um I might you know, if I sat down and really thought about it, I think I, I could end up in a place where I thought Nick Bosa was a little, uh, just a slightly better prospect than Chase Young. Um, and I I'm feel pretty confident that Jeff Okuda is a better corner prospect, even if it's close than the other guys have come through. So that might sway my opinion, too. But Do you think that um, Nick Bosa is the best defensive end prospect out of the three? I think he might be. I think he has, like, the, uh, the combination. I don't know. He's not as raw, like, freaky athletic as Chase Young is. But I think he's pretty close. And I think he's a blend of Joey and chase a little bit and maybe he's he's more like his brother than he is like chase um and this probably sounds crazy because chase had such a monster season last year and nick just didn't have a season that amounted to that um but nick just seemed like a, a little like a slightly more complete prospect to me coming out than chase but it's very, like it's marginal it's not even worth mentioning yeah my whole thing is just if you look at like what each bosa brother has done in the nfl like if you say that Chase Young will do eighty five percent of that, then he's a top five pick. Like that is the the bar there when you're comparing him to those guys is so high that even if he doesn't reach it, he can still be a Pro Bowler. 
I mean, like the the season that Nick Bosa just had was one of the best seasons from a defensive end that I've seen in the NFL in the, in the recent past. And, you know, there's greats like Julius Peppers and, and guys that we grew up watching. But whenever I watched the San Francisco 49ers last year, Nick Bosa was taking over games. Like you could feel his presence on every play. And that's kind of the way that I felt watching Chase Young at Ohio State this year. And I wonder and I'm excited to see how much that translates to immediate production um, from the team that takes him number two. All right. Now it's time. This is where it gets fun. J.K. Dobbins. Dane has him in the first round, number 26 overall to Miami. Do you see J.K. going higher than that, or uh, meaning before number 26 or lower than that? I would take him lower. Um, And you and I have always been um, on opposite uh, ends of the coin on this one. Um, And I I think that I value breakaway speed more than you do in terms of just like where I would take a running back. Um, I think that I subscribe to the idea that a running back is – a replaceable thing in the NFL and you can get guys. And I mean, even the, the most guy from San Francisco, I think this is your example a few, few months ago when we were talking about it, but I had anybody even heard of him two years ago. And all of a sudden he's like running all over the field in the Super Bowl. Um, and I just think that JK Dobbins is one of the best running backs in Ohio state history. Um, he just broke Eddie George's single season rushing record without playing most of the second halves of the season. Um, he's got incredible. You can't teach it vision. He's a one-cut running back who is surprisingly powerful when he meets contact and gets yards after care. I don't have a lot of things, negative things to say about him. But what I will say is, is that if Ezekiel Elliott is a top 10 or top 5 pick and he's the best player in the NFL, then that warrants it. I don't think that J.K. Dobbins is going to be in the conversation for best player in the NFL, and thus I don't think a running back should ever be taken in the first round. So it's more so about my viewpoint of where a running back should be selected in the NFL draft more than it is about J.K. Dobbins. And like, if I am going to take a running back in this in the first round, he better be able to run away from everybody. I don't know. I, I would guess that he goes lower than this. I I, don't, I would guess that he's not a first round pick, and that's not. I think I'm on the record with how good I think J.K. Dobbins is, and I think he will be a good pro. Uh, but I agree with your assessment of the of the running back position, just sort of the value of that position in general. And I don't know if there is a um, trend transcendent talent at that position in this draft that would warrant taking him in the first round when you can probably get somebody who's similar like a Jonathan Taylor, um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like in the second round or even even the third round. Um, I like J.K. a lot, but I don't I don't think he's going to go in the first round, so I would say lower than where Dwayne Dane has him at number 26 overall. I, I, I want to know, like, what – so the other running back that is in the same category, I think, is Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, right? And DeAndre Swift. And, like, Jonathan – and DeAndre Swift. But I, I need to figure out uh, – Swift um, in Brugler's draft is 45 to Tampa – and Taylor is 35 um, to Detroit. So, like, I think that when you're talking about where J.K. is, that's 10 picks separated from the three of them. I'd like to be – I'd be very curious as to how this has happened because I don't know that he was the number one rated running back on the board for most people. But besides um, – I'm just being in the situation. I just like want to know, given the fact that he was injured, how this happened, how he jumped up to that spot. Um, but I do think that you could flip a coin, and I mean, I would take him over Taylor. I don't know if I'd take him over Swift. I haven't watched Swift closely enough to know that. Um, I think that J.K. Dobbins was the best running back in the Big Ten. But like when you start getting between 26 and 35, it's such a slim margin of first and second round, and it's also such a slim margin between first and second running back taken. I think he's the best running back in the draft, but I don't. I just don't think any of them are going to go in the first round. So I'll, that's why I'm saying lower. But I think he'll go off the board fairly early, like in the in this range we're talking about between 33 and 45. 
is where I think JK will go. All right, Damon Arnett, uh, second round number 61 overall to the Tennessee Titans. Do you think he'll go higher or lower? Uh, Lower? Higher? I don't know. This is a tough one. I'm higher. I think, and we, uh, earlier this morning on the day we're recording this Wednesday, we did a conference call with a bunch of Ohio State assistant coaches. And, like, Kerry Combs, I think, can convince you of anything. So I'm probably just drinking a whole lot of Kool-Aid right now. But he said, don't be surprised by how high Damon Arnett gets drafted. Now, I think a lot of people would say, like, they would be surprised if Damon Arnett is a second-round pick. I think it's on the table that he is creeping up toward the first round. Uh, he, there's probably a lot of questions of him about, like, his physical play. And he, he gets a little handsy and, and got some holding penalties. He's super tough. Like, I love Damon Arnett's mentality. Um, he's kind of a badass, but he backs it up. He's very physical. He's a little undersized, but I think he's he runs well. He's a pretty good athlete. He's quick. I think he could play in the slot. He could play outside. And it helps him that he's coming out of Ohio State, which has had a really good track record lately of producing high-level defensive back play, guys who go in the first round and hit. And that leads me to believe that someone might take a flyer on Damon Arnett on the back end of the first round, or maybe even early second round, but but my guess is that he back end of the first back round, back end of the first round, early second round. But my guess is that he goes higher than number sixty one overall. Ladies and gentlemen, now you know why Kerry Combs can recruit. He just convinced Bill Landis that Damon Arnett might be a first round pick. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick, but I can buy that he'll go higher, higher than sixty one. Yeah. First round yeah, picks. I, I think that, I mean, the one thing that I will say about Damon is that he was put in a very interesting position this year because no teams wanted to throw at Okuda. And, like, I don't remember very many plays where Arnett let up. And, like, he was definitely the one that was picked on the most and in the line of fire the most. And I do think that he handled that quite well. You usually don't see players get to this point in their careers um, and then have this much upside. But I do think that um, playing opposite Okuda he really had a chance to showcase his talent. I think he did that. He was a three-year starter playing inside and outside in a, in a heavy press man or press technique defense. He never allowed more than one passing touchdown in coverage in any of those three seasons. Uh, in a game? No, in a season. He allowed one each. I, be- I believe the status he allowed one touchdown pass in coverage. Like one-on-one coverage in each season how, as a starter. Explain that to people, including myself. Like how that is specified. Like you mean like if the ball is caught with him right there, if he is covering somebody and that guy catches a touchdown, yeah. Yeah, I in my head would have like thought it would be made way more than that, whether it be coverage breakdowns or whatever. But like that's a pretty incredible stat. I did not know that stat. I don't know if it's like. If he gets beat off the line and then that guy's 40 yards downfield and Damon Arnett's nowhere near him, I would imagine that still counts as a touchdown against Damon Arnett. And it's all subjective, I suppose. But it was in Dane's breakdown, and I wrote a feature about Damon Arnett earlier in the season where I was told the same thing. Like last year he only allowed – or in 2018 he only allowed one touchdown, and this year I believe he only allowed one touchdown. And he got thrown at quite a bit. Yeah, no, I mean I thought he, he, he played quite well. Um, and now you're talking me into higher than 61 too. Here we go. Now I'm a good recruiter. You know what? I'm very interested to kind of go off a little bit um, on a tangent here, but the line, because um, I look a lot of the draft, the draft Kings Vegas lines, the line for first round picks in from the big 10 is five and a half. Um, and it's like interesting. Cause like two of the top three and maybe three of the top five might be from the big 10. 
and it's very interesting to me about like how J.K. Dobbins might be the swing person um, for that that particular number. And now that you're saying Damon Arnett could jump back up maybe into the top end of the first round, it's like an Ohio State player might be the player that is uh, the determining factor of whether or not that number hits. And that might have just Five been a, a useless, half, huh? stupid fact for people. And I'm like, shut the hell up, Ari. But like, I find this stuff fascinating. Five and a half is an interesting number. Yeah, because you Okuda got Caesar. And, and, you know, yeah, you got, well, Young and Okuda are definitely going. Worse is going. And then you have, yeah, Cesar Ruiz. You have uh, Itor Gross Matos, Joss Uche, Damon Arnett, J.K. Dobbins. Zach I'm Bond probably from missing Wisconsin. somebody. Zach Bond. Josh yeah. Uche. Yeah. Five and a half. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like in there seems to be like a run of Big Ten players in the last ten picks of the first round, but it's just like obviously it just takes one weird pick to make everything go haywire. But like, I just thought that like five and a half seemed almost like an easy over. Yeah, it seems kind of easy to me too, which probably means it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, which means there's going to be two takes. <laughs> that's, that's how they get you, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's just interesting because it's like. I think J.K. Dobbins, it might be like the number might be five, and like J.K. Dobbins might be the like whether or not J.K. goes in the first round might be the determining factor whether or not that bet hits. Yeah. All right. Uh, Devon Hamilton, Dane has him round three, number 83 overall to Denver. How's that sit with you, higher or lower for Devon Hamilton? That's exactly where he should go. Can I, yeah. is, that an, is that an okay pick? Can I say that? I think like, so. I think if he's on the nose, he's on the nose. Yeah. I think that this is exactly where he should go. And I know that for a fact that that, uh, that team specifically likes <laughs> uh, Davon Hamilton. And like the thing that is interesting is um, that he played himself into this position. And like a third round pick as a defensive tackle is a really good spot to be in, especially considering the fact that most people thought that he was a three star Passover guy. And it was just like an incredible season. And I would say he's probably one of the more consistent players on the team this past year and like earned every bit of it. And I like, you know, don't have any personal stakes and whether these guys are successful or not, but like I feel good for him because he deserves this. I remember at big 10 media days, uh, last July, which seems like nine years ago, uh, Ryan day was asked about like, who's, who's standing out to you this summer. He's like Devon Hamilton. And I remember him saying that like, all right, whatever. Like he's not going to play like Teron Vincent will play and Teron Vincent ended up getting hurt. But Devon Hamilton will play, but he's not going to be an impact player. And then he was like their second best defensive lineman behind Chase Young. He was really good all year, uh, like borderline, like great when you think about where he came from and then how important he was for Ohio State last year. He was awesome, and and one of the better I think career progressions um, that we've seen here of late at Ohio State in terms of going from a three star sort of overlooked guy to being very important and a starter and impactful. Um, I, I agree with you. This feels like on the nose to me too. Denver drafted Draymond Jones. So they're very familiar with Devon Hamilton. I'm sure they, they saw a lot of Devon Hamilton when they were watching Draymond Jones tape. So this feels right to me. I think he's a top 100 pick. Um, I'll, I'll say, I'll agree with you and I'll say on the nose too, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun story, I think, and it does make you feel good to see a guy like Devon Hamilton put in his time and, and then turn it into something like this because I think he's going to have a good, a good draft week. The thing with him is consistency. Like, he was just so consistently good. He doesn't jump off the page like Chase Young, but he's somebody that I could have on my roster and know he was going to be productive for a long period of time. And like he like is a big strong dude. Like I know that when we think three-star prospect or at least in my head because I'm so obsessed with recruiting rankings, I have preconceived notions about people based on how much pure talent the rankings uh say that they have, but like he like is a 
brick wall. I mean, I, I, I think that he's going to be a very, very good NFL player. And for a third round, middle of the third round pick, I, I do think that uh, this is going to be a productive spot for whoever gets him in the 80s. From a testing standpoint, I think Devon Hamilton is somewhere near that Billy Price, John Simon, Tommy Togiai range, just in terms of strength. raw yeah. strength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, KJ Hill's the next guy, round three, number 100 overall on the nose. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six guys in the top 100 of the draft for Dane. He is KJ, round three, number 100 overall to the New England Patriots. And whoever their quarterback might be next year, higher or lower for KJ. Just doing this uh, and reading this, it's like Dane Brugler knows his stuff, man. Like, this is the most appropriate pick ever. And, like, I do think that KJ Hill is going to go lower than this. Um, but I do think that if he were to go in the 100 spot, the Patriots would be the team to take him. Um, I, I think that he is – I've got such a weird um, thought process with K.J. Hill because he was one of the most consistent and most productive receivers in Ohio State history, and he had some of the biggest catches in Ohio State history. Like the one that comes to mind is the Penn State win um, two years ago when he skipped up and you know brought it home in Beaver Stadium. But it's just like – also, he was kind of a boring player to me, and it's just like I don't know why both of those things exist in my head, and I don't know if I'm just obsessed with speed, and maybe you can tell me that I am, but I, you I <laughs> you definitely are. I, I think speed is like the number one thing if that makes an NFL player yeah. a good football player. Like I don't know why that's such a controversial thought process. Maybe it's not, but like I just don't know how productive a player like KJ Hill can be in the NFL if he doesn't have burner speed. There's been a lot of players that, you know, can catch passes like he can and run good routes that haven't made it. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that taking him in the fifth round would be the, the range that I might want to take him at, um, not the third. But maybe I'm also a psychopath. I don't know. You tell me why I'm wrong now. I don't necessarily think you're wrong, actually. Um, I like KJ. He's a great route runner. Um, and he created separation pretty easily in college. I, I just think that's a harder thing to do once you get into the NFL. I don't know how often he came across a dynamic athlete covering him in the slot, who, even though KJ is not the fastest straight line guy in the world, um, was even close to sort of as athletic as he was. And he'll, he'll come across that, obviously, once he's in the NFL. I think his route running and ability to get open will translate some. But I also think his lack of, of straight line speed, like you're talking about, creates a little bit of a ceiling. Doesn't mean he won't be a solid pro. I think he will be. I think he can be like a third or fourth receiver option for a long time. But I don't know if I'm drafting a third or fourth receiver option in the top 100 picks or in the third round. So I would say that he falls a little bit as well. Maybe to like the fourth round. A fifth round feels a little low, but maybe maybe either late. Well, this is kind of late third. Maybe fourth round um, for KJ. I just don't, I don't see a guy who's just like very solid, but not overwhelmingly um, impressive going quite this high at, at the receiver position, particularly in a draft that's as, as deep at receiver as this one is. Yeah. Solid is great. Um, and J and KJ was probably more than solid. I think I'm maybe even underselling him a little bit because he had some pretty big touchdown catches and some pretty big moments, but it's just, I feel like the top three rounds for the NFL draft are about players that make your jaw hit the hit, hit the desk, and I don't know that he ever did that for me. He was dependable. He was their most dependable guy over the last two years. That's why he is the program's all-time leader in receptions, and I think dependability will translate. But I think you need to be a little bit more than that to go 
even even where we're talking about here at number 100 overall. So I think we're both on the same page that he'll be, go a little bit lower than this. Um, Lake Harrison, number uh, 104 overall, round three to the L.A. Rams, higher or lower for Malik? You're the resident Malik Harrison expert, so I want to hear what you think first. I would guess that he goes a little bit lower than this. I think it's hard. Malik Harrison is a great athlete, and he was very good at Ohio State. He, he was the tied for the team leading tackles two years ago. He led them in tackles last year. He had 16 and a half tackles for loss, just second behind Chase Young, which I kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit because Chase was so good. Malik Harrison was very good last year, and I think if you watched Al Washington was talking about this on Wednesday morning, watched him closely, you see how much better he got with his hands and, and defeating blocks and, and making plays in the backfield. He grew a lot, I thought, in his last year. And if he had another year, I think with better linebacker coaching than he got when Bill Davis was here, he might go higher than where I think he's going to go. Is that shade? Um, this week, yeah, it was shade. Bill Davis sucked. Um, wow. I don't know, am I saying anything out, <laughs> out of line there? He was awful. You just don't often get fired up players. like that, Dollaby. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm <laughs> the usually the one to coach college football players. Like, can you coach college football? Let me see your uh, the credentials we need. Can you recruit? No. Can you relate to college athletes? No. Okay, you're hired. Like, what are we doing here? He was awful. Al wow. Washington, wow. very very good line, college linebacker coach. Who he knows that? Man. I watched Bill Davis's terrible defenses with the Eagles for a few years too. Like, I don't even like. Don't get me started on recycled coaches in the NFL. Um, but anyway, Malik Harrison got good coaching last year and got a lot better. But I still think the thing he does best is defend the run. And we're still talking about positions here where you're drafting like no doubt about it starters you want to hit here and i think malik harrison might be a little more of a situational guy because i'm not certain about his ability to cover the way that he might need to cover to be an every down linebacker in the nfl and if you're not an every down linebacker i don't know if you go this high i want to make one point that we haven't made yet and i'm very curious to know what you think of this but like so how many players did dane brugler have in the top three rounds one two three Four, six. five, six. Or seven. Okay, there's seven. Seven. Seven in the first three seven rounds. Seven first seven in the first three rounds. In a world where there are no more pro days because of coronavirus, the combine was what it was, but like the overall analysis of these prospects is much more limited because of the travel restrictions and the inability to get to people in person. I wonder if draft scouts um are going to rely on the names of the colleges that some of these players started at, like more so than they have uh, in the past. So not so much about how they did in the three cone drill at their pro day or, you know, exactly what they saw on film, but like think to my themselves, well, KJ Hill started at Ohio state uh, for a few years. And since we can't, really fall back on all the other drills that maybe they would have done in previous years. They're just going to trust the idea that this is the all-time leading receptions uh, getter at Ohio State, and like that is going to improve like blue-chip program stock positioning more in this year's draft. Is that, a, is that a crazy thing to think? No. No, I don't think so. I would I would hope teams don't draft that way, but I, you know, I wouldn't put anything uh, – I wouldn't be surprised by anything, I guess, when it comes to the NFL evaluating players. Yeah, I don't know. I just like to me, I, I if I were an NFL GM, I would be like, I'd rather draft the guy from Clemson than a guy from Southern Illinois. Yeah, I think you trust more programs to develop the obvious programs to develop guys a little better. Um, but you'd also be doing yourself a disservice 
by passing over guys who are good football players who just happen to not go to one of the top five programs in the country. Yeah, no, I I think you want to. I just feel like from a resource standpoint, um, the higher paid coaches get the better jobs, the better facilities, the more likely you are to develop. I just feel like in general, it's easier to turn into a better football player at a bigger program than it is a smaller one, but that doesn't mean they're always better. But I just thought that with lack of resources, I'm very curious to see how the teams draft this year. Obviously, they're going to have to lean much more on film and gut instincts, and I sometimes wonder if playing at Ohio State or playing at Clemson or Alabama is something that people will sit back and say, well, that means something, maybe more than it has in the past. So where are you on Harrison? Are you higher or lower than 104? Um. Probably a little bit lower, but I think this is the right general range. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of uh, of programs that turn out NFL talent, uh, Rutgers transfer Jonah Jackson is at round number four, number 109 overall to Detroit. And there was a time like around the combine where there was some talk about Jonah Jackson maybe going a little higher than people might have expected him going. And I think you were surprised by some of that talk seeing him here is round four number 109 is that about where you would expect him or is that even still higher than where you thought he might go i've like said mid middle of the round i I, on a last podcast or two in person like fourth or fifth round pick and you're like no 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 he's gonna be the first interior offensive lineman to go off the board and like now it's like he's a fourth rounder again like which one is it so like i think that like probably higher just based on that one piece of information but i'm like looking at the um, webpage right now and I see three interior offensive linemen who are going in the, in the 15 picks above him so like to me given the fact that he played as well as he played like I would take him over Bredson from Michigan and that's somebody who's ahead of him so like I, I think higher than 109 and like I would say that I would swap him for KJ Hill's positioning and put him in the top 100 I think I agree with you. I, I think he might end up going a little higher than this too. I don't think anything higher than like the third round, like back into the third round. Um, he's another guy who I would describe as solid, like not super athletic. He's got a pretty good mentality. I think he's smart. He's older. Um, he's got experience in a couple different systems. He was an all Big Ten caliber player playing for just a terrible program at Rutgers. And then I think you know on a the, maybe the thing you can say best about Jonah Jackson is he was not a very high, highly recruited guy out of high school. Um, he played it at Rutgers and was good there. But when you, you stuck him into the puzzle at Ohio State near guys like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis uh, and Thayer Munford and Brandon Bowen, a lot of those guys, a couple of those guys very highly rated in their own regard, he didn't look out of place. He, like, he very much looked like he belonged in that group, and that wasn't a given. Um, and I think that's a compliment to Jonah Jackson and sort of his talent, even if his talent might get overlooked a little bit. I don't think he'll, he'll a guy who will jump off the film at you, and he had some penalties last year. But I think, you know, the combination of, of his physical play, his, his run-blocking ability, the fact that he might be able to play some center if you needed him to in the NFL, I think would help him too. I think he goes a little higher than us. Fair enough. Last guy, last guy in Dane's uh, pick from Ohio State is Jordan Fuller, round five, number 179 overall to Dallas. Higher or lower on Jordan Fuller? Um, I think that Jordan Fuller was a, a nice player uh, in college. And I think that like when you start getting into the fifth round, taking a a captain from Ohio State who was a major part of a defense that was maybe one of the best in the country that had a chance to win a national championship, like this is like a really good spot to get him. Um, I think that this is about right. Um, last pick of the fifth round, maybe early sixth round is the range that I would have had him at before I saw this list. 
Um, so like I would say maybe a little bit lower, but not, but not really much lower than where they have them. I think this is pretty spot on too. I don't know if Jordan Fuller ultimately starts in the NFL. Um, I think he's a special teams player, a guy you want on your team. Um, maybe depending on the system he could play there. I just don't know if he has the range ultimately to be a, a starter all the time in the NFL, but I think he's pretty short tackler, physical, uh, willing to play in the run game. I think maybe could play in the box a little bit if you wanted to play on there. Um, but this feels right to me. I just I don't see him as a guy who's going to go in the first three rounds where you're looking to draft starters, or even even the fourth round. I think you're you're looking for a guy here who might give you some some meaningful snaps on defense, but but contributes to your your franchise in other ways too. And and this is where he'll he'll get drafted. But this feels like the right kind of area for me. So I'll say I'll say a little higher, maybe like a touch higher, but but not much. Um, okay, and then there's a bunch of undrafted guys. So Ohio State is going to have basically 15 guys who are trying to turn pro this week, 16 if you include Liam McCullough, the long snapper. So let me just run through these guys who aren't in Dane's mock draft, could hear their name called Austin Mack, Brandon Bowen, Jason Cornell, Robert Landers, Ben Victor, Rashad Berry. Any of those guys jump out to you as a guy who might get drafted, find his way into the sixth or seventh round um, before the draft is over? I'd take a flyer on Austin Mack. Yeah, I would too. He's got some crazy athleticism. I don't think that he ever was able to get stuff on track at Ohio State because he was so injured all the time. And I think that that takes a bigger impact or a bigger toll on somebody's uh, progression than you might think. And there were times where Mac made plays that you thought that's an NFL catch. And there were other times where he just dropped uh, passes that hit him in the hands. So like it was kind of a weird, I, I can imagine, frustrating receiver for some fans to watch but I do think that if he puts something together that he is worthy of a potential roster spot and if we're talking about KJ Hill being um, a top 100 pick potentially then I'm absolutely going to take Mac maybe as an undrafted free agent get him into camp and see what happens because I think there's a chance that he could be a productive player maybe not I don't know about a number one or two or even three receiver in the NFL that's not what I'm saying but somebody who can take up a roster spot and maybe make a big catch or two in a game and, and really be a contributed member of a franchise. I like. I think that he's the one guy out of the, all the ones you just listed that I would take a flyer on. i take a flyer on Mac. It's it's always funny when you get to this point, like when you're talking about sixth or seventh round, I would rather be an undrafted free agent because by that point you can sort of pick where you want to go. I might even no, not the fifth round. Fifth round I think you still want to go. But sixth, seventh round, I'd rather just not get – even though it's a great moment in your life to get selected, I'd rather be able to choose where I want to go once you get to this point. But I think I think Mac might ultimately get drafted late. He has size. like He has pretty good range, I think. Um, and like you said, he makes tough contested catches. And I think you can work with that. I'm fascinated to see what Robert Landers is as a pro. He was like such a little bowling ball playing in college and a leverage monster. And it worked for him against some very good offensive linemen in the Big Ten. And I don't know. I think it can work like situationally in the NFL, too. I don't think he'll get drafted, but I wouldn't be surprised if he landed on the roster because he's so rare, I think. And I don't mean rare like Chase Young rare, but rare just like you don't see guys who are built like that who are able to be as productive as Robert Landers was. So I'm, I'm curious about him. And then Rashad Berry is like a freak of an athlete who played on both sides of the ball at Ohio State. And I don't know if you get drafted – if you have no idea what position a guy's going to play, but he's another guy who is intriguing to me because of his ability to play on either side of the ball and, and just like his raw athleticism, his raw athleticism is, is 
among the best, I think, of all these Ohio State guys who could potentially get drafted. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. Great. No bucks. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Uh, so the draft is this week. After the draft on Sunday, if I may have uh, include a shameless plug here, I'm going to have a story about the guys to watch for next year's draft. And granted, some of these names, most of the names, all these names are very obvious. But there'll be some film stuff in there. There'll be some thoughts from the coaches in there about what these guys need to do before they get drafted, where they could end up falling. Guys like Justin Fields, Wyatt Davis, um, Pete Werner, Sean Wade, a couple other guys. So that'll be on The Athletic on Sunday morning. Um, if you want to read about Justin Fields now and how good he is, I wrote a story last week breaking down all of his throws, 354 of them, from the 2019 season and charted them all and wrote about where he was very good, where he can still find room to grow. Um, I had a lot of fun doing that. The reaction to it was pretty good, so I'll plug that as well. Uh, do you want to try to knock out one or two questions before we go? Absolutely. Okay. Our main man, Chase Richardson, has a recruiting question, and we should mention, too, I didn't mention this at the top, Ohio State, since we last recorded, added uh, two more commitments to the class of 2021. Four-star defensive end. Are you ready? I'm going to try to say it, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Tunmiche Adelaide? Yeah, he did a good job. Tunmiche, yes. but, like, you were you were pretty – you had the idea. Okay. I gave it the, I gave it the effort. Number 41 uh, overall player in the class, uh, defensive end, and then four-star athlete Jensen Dunn. Number 248, uh, looks like he'll be a defensive back. So that's 17 commits for Ohio State's class. It's still ranked number one in the country. And Chase Richardson, I'm assuming it's Chase Richardson. It's Chase R. His question was, uh, obviously Ohio State has completely dominated a recruiting dead period, which I think is pretty unprecedented on its own. But just how far do you think they can take it? Ohio State's combination of tradition and media savvy has led to this. But do you guys think if they do this correctly, they could break the all-time 247 sports record and that record was set by florida in 2010 it was uh where's my i have it written down here 324.62 points and ohio state's class at the moment sits at 294.67 so there's about a 30 point separation there between ohio state's current class of 17 commits and the best class ever to sign in terms of total points do you think ohio state will get there with this class okay i'm going to pull up uh, florida's 2010 recruiting class because i want to know how many people committed because like that also plays a factor into it, and like that class had four or five star prospects at the top. So, but like the way that the 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 point system works on two four seven is very confusing because um, at times people get more consumed with the ranking or the actual total points than they do about the the metric that actually matters the most, which is the average player rating, which was ninety three nine nine, and that's like two full average player points lower than Ohio state's 2017 class, which was the best total that that's ever been. So like the answer is yes. Ohio state has a chance to do that. There's some five-star prospects that are still out there that Ohio state has a really good chance of getting. And you know, the, obviously what's happening right now is unprecedented uh, because this has never happened before uh, in terms of recruiting being shut down in the spring, um, especially in the recent years when, spring has had official visitors and this has been a very crucial time, but like Ohio state is putting together a class that might make urban Meyer look twice. Um, if you go back and look at that 2010 class that we were talking about with Florida, they did sign three of the top six players in the country, which is really freaking crazy. But I do think that Ohio state has a chance to potentially break their own record of highest average player rating, which I would make it um, an argument for being more important than even the total points. So Everything's involved. Everything's on the table right now, um, depending on where a few of these five-star decisions go. 
But, you know, being in this situation right now, I, I didn't think Ohio State would be here um, this fast, especially from a national standpoint. I knew that they'd be able to recruit Ohio still because they'll never not be able to do that. I knew that they'd be able to get regional stars, maybe even like a guy like Julian Fleming, who isn't in Ohio but is in the general area or the conference footprint. But the fact that they're going into Houston and taking top 100 players and they're going into California and the way that they're doing it, I think, is is pretty unbelievable. And, you know, I, I just think that in general, everything is on the table with how many commits they have. And, you know, obviously they'll be helped by how many spots they have. I have them in the mid 20s somewhere. It's impossible to know exactly where they're going to land. Um, but yeah, short, short and long answer to the question is yes, they have a chance. I expect them to set a new record for average player, which would break its own record from 2017. And ultimately I think that's, what's most important, but you can play around with the class class calculator on two, four, seven sports. And I did that to see what it would take to get Ohio state past the 2010 Florida class. And I added to Ohio state's class, uh, five-star defensive tackle JT to MLO. Five-star receiver, Emeka Abuga. Five-star corner, Tony Grimes. And then offensive lineman, J.C. Latham. And defensive lineman, I think it's Tywon Malone, is how you say his name. Um, those are all top 40 players. I added five more top 40 players to Ohio State's class just to see. And like that barely got them past Florida. So this is a high bar to clear for Ohio State. Um, I don't know if they'll ultimately get there because I don't think they're going to add all five of those players. And maybe if you add two or, the, or three of those and, and mix in a couple of four-star guys, you can get there. But it's going to be really hard just to Yeah, like I think you also a, have to take into the bars. Yeah, not to interrupt you, and I didn't play around with the calculator, but I think you also have to take into account that they've got 17 commitments right now and you added five players, the value that the other four on top of it might be. And knowing that Ohio State is going to be you know taking players that rank in the top 150 for the most part, like I think that – like even if they get three out of those five and then five other players to get them to 25 or 26, that rank in the top 150, you might be in that ballpark. Um, and, you know, the fact that we're having the conversation isn't, is the point of what's happening here. I don't think actually breaking those numbers that, you know, those records actually really mean stuff. I think if you're in the general vicinity, there's a very fine line between the separation between all those things. And, you know, the most important takeaway, I guess, from this conversation is that Ohio State's in that ballpark, which means that they're accumulating talent at a level that um, has only been done a few times in the history of recruiting. And, you know, when you talk about the future and, you know, I know some of you don't think talent matters and that's going to be a rant that go on every week for at least 30 seconds. Um, but, man, it's, it's pretty impressive what they're doing. Okay, second part of Chase's question was about your love for the filet fish but I don't want to end on you ranting about the filet fish So we'll skip that and we'll No, we're not skipping that. We're skipping it because we want to get to another question. We don't we're not talking about a fast food fish sandwich to close our podcast. Well, uh, we did, I disagree. I think that's the most important topic we've had so far of all the, sorry, enti- the entire podcast. I think it should have been the filet fish podcast. Best no. sandwich in fast food. No. It's not. Uh, okay, we'll end on these two questions from Gunner, and we will get back to all the questions we missed uh, next week. I promise we'll do that. We'll let you guys drive the show next week. From uh, Gunner, a.k.a. Goon, he has two questions. He says, help people out. What are some go-to quarantine snacks? Uh, his are always nachos. I think we'll give a quick answer on that. Do you have a go-to quarantine snack at the moment? filet fish Although you're... Yeah, I figured. You're, uh, you're, you're been, up in some LBs right now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on my way down on, in the weight department. And my go-to snack has been pistachios um, because they are delicious and they don't have as many calories as normal nuts. But popcorn it would be my go-to quarantine snack otherwise. 
I am not dropping LBs during quarantine. I can tell you that much. Uh, but I have been trying to, you know, keep it somewhat healthy. I have I have discovered a snack that I love. They're called wisps. Have you ever heard of these? Yes. Other the cheese ones. They're it's just like yeah. it's yeah it's like crunchy cheese, but it's just cheese. But they're the way they're cooked. It just makes makes them like chips, but they're low carb. They taste delicious. You can eat an entire bag, and it's like three hundred calories, which is not the right frame of mind to be in when you're eating anything. It's like, oh, can I get away with eating the entire bag of this? Yes, that's my okay, frame of mind every time I open a bag of anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I've been eating a lot of those lately, and I would highly recommend them um, as like a healthier ish alternative kind of snack. Um, I've also had like more Easter candy in the last four weeks than I've ever had in my entire life combined before that because it's cheap and I keep buying it. Um, the last question one on this, because I think we should mention him. Joe Burrow is going to go number one overall in the draft on Thursday night, former Ohio State quarterback. You may have heard. I was really good at LSU. Uh, the second question from Goon was, uh, Joe is getting drafted by my Bengals on Thursday. He's so ready for Joe to get drafted. Can you each share your favorite Joe Burrow story, nugget, etc., from your time covering him? Um, I don't know if we have if you have a favorite one. I don't necessarily have a favorite nugget, but I will say um, I always enjoyed covering Joe. I loved covering him in high school, his run with Athens in the state playoffs. I think I covered three of those games, and I was working at Cleveland.com, including the state championship game. It was it was great. Like I've I've not watched a ton of high school football in my life. I've covered it for a few years. I've never seen a player play like at the level that Joe was at for that stretch run. And I think he had seven touchdowns in Ohio Stadium in the game they lost to Toledo Central Catholic. Like watching that run. As crazy as it might sound, given that I cover Ohio State, is like something I'll always remember because he was awesome and he was a blast to cover. So that that's one of my favorite things about Joe Burrow. My favorite thing about his personality was that like before he was all like after somebody goes undefeated as the starter of LSU comes out on Senior Day with the Joe Burrow uh, spelt the way it was on the back of his jersey, wins the Heisman Trophy, and talks crap on Twitter. Like he used to be like a nerd. Um, or he at least came across as a nerd. And I just remember the first time he walked into Ohio State's camp uh, check-in at that hotel, he was wearing this like huge American flag T-shirt that was just the flag and like had a Batman T-shirt on a hanger. And it was just like, who the hell is this guy? And it was just like the perfect way to like think about him now because it's like he never shied away from being himself and even though it didn't seem like he had a personality that would fit in with a football roster, it actually fit in perfectly because everybody loved him. And as crazy as it is now, I feel like we should have seen this coming a little bit better. And you never see like the elite um, things that he did coming. Like you can't just predict the Heisman Trophy when somebody's 17 years old. But like his eccentric personality that has made him such a lovable character for everybody uh, in college football was so apparent um, as early as his freshman year, even if he wasn't playing at Ohio state. And I like, will always fondly remember like how he never shied about being himself. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think the thing that you, you, we, nobody could predict that, that what he did, the numbers last year were crazy as best quarterback season ever. But the fact that it never seemed to rattle him, I think is something we probably all should have assumed about. Like whenever he got his shot, whether that was at Ohio state or somewhere else, he was going to handle it very well. So it wasn't surprising to see him have success that to the extent that he had success and winning the Heisman trophy, I think was a little bit. Um, but that kid, like his, his demeanor is unlike anything I think I've seen from a quarterback, like to be like kind of odd. And I don't mean that in a bad way, just like an odd personality, kind of like a, yeah, very, very much, uh, follows his own arrow. Um, 
and still sort of found a way to translate that into being a guy who teams rally around in addition to being very talented. Um, it was cool. It was cool to watch him last year and, and see the success he had. So I was happy for him, and, and I hope that he gets to the NFL and it can continue for him. And I wanted to, to end this podcast. You're the host, but you'll end it. Um, but I wanted to, to say thank you to you. Because if you guys don't know, I'm quarantining in a different state. And I left that state to quarantine in Arizona with my parents and family that I don't see very often. And I had a major oversight and that was leaving my PlayStation four in my apartment. And in case you guys were ever wondering if Bill and I are actually best friends, he has a key to my apartment. And I asked him to go to my apartment with that extra key, pack up my PlayStation and send it to Arizona. So I had it. Cause like forgetting the PlayStation was a major oversight, but I wanted to admit something to Landis um, man to man, but I want you all to hear it. Landis was searching my apartment for Madden. Um, cause I said, you have to pack Madden, you have to pack Madden. And we were talking, he's like, I don't know where it is. He was checking seat cushions. He was going through my apartment. And I realized when I woke up this morning that I downloaded and bought Madden and it was just on. <laughs> I never had the physical copy of it. So he was looking for something that never existed. <laughs> I just wanted to say, Hey, thank you for doing that with the PlayStation. Um, and B, sorry for going on a wild goose chase, looking for something that I didn't have. Uh, that is the perfect ending to that story. I should have asked you. I, it crossed my <laughs> mind. It's like, maybe we downloaded it, but whatever. It was fun. Um, well, I appreciate that. I'm glad. Uh, it should be. It should arrive later this week. Let me know. Yeah, yeah. And you, pack, how did packing it up go? Was it easy? You had the box. It they was, it's, it's they safe. did it for me. Yeah, yeah. I put it in the box. They put. They packed it up and, and packed it fragile, and it's on its way. It's on its way out to uh, Cave so, Creek, Arizona. So you've got the uh, the controller and the cords and everything. Both controllers. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I put it all in there. This yeah. is just that's a friend I, right I, there. I gave you I gave you two HDMI courses. I wasn't sure if the one was going to be long enough. I didn't know what your setup was out there in Arizona. Oh my so god, you got two HDMI. Yeah, I owe you one, bud. I, I, I appreciate you. Let me know. Yeah, yeah. See, we'll we'll end on that happy note. Uh, we'll do the uh, we'll do the Flay of Fish podcast next week. People have that to look forward to. We'll get to a lot of your questions next week. I know we kind of glanced over them, but we the, the draft discussion went a little longer than I think we anticipated, but. It's also timely NFL draft this week. We'll have some stories as on the athletic as some of these guys get picked in the first couple of rounds. And obviously there's a ton of NFL coverage too. If you're into that or just into the draft in general, we uh, implore you to stick with the athletic subscribe. If you're not theathletic.com slash four dash six, please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps us out greatly. We very much appreciate your support and, and sticking with us through uh, some weird times here as we try to find you find interesting content to bring you while there's no sports going on and we'll we'll continue to do that so until next week for ari i'm bill thanks so much for listening As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.